Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good morning, beloved family. How are you doing? I certainly pray you're doing well, and I I hope all of us are praying for the uh, atrocity um, in Ukraine. Um, Something has to happen to save those people, and we pray for them. We pray for them that um, every country around the world will join in defending the Ukraine against Russia. Um, This is Friday. And we have less than a week before Ash Wednesday. Um, And what we do here at the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, is that each sister um, gives me, written on a piece of paper, the penances she would like to do for the Lenten season and uh, what book she's going to read through uh, on Lent or the Passion of Our Lord or whatever may Um, apply to that season and then I approve them Uh, I approve them because some sisters want to do so much their health might be in jeopardy so I need to approve them Um, and you should do the same with your family have your children ask your children to write down um, on a piece of paper um, and it's good for them to write it because it kind of seals it in their own mind and then if they get off track or they don't remember they have it on paper or you have it on paper to give back to them what penance or penances they will adopt for Lent and it could be to do without a certain food it could be um, to get out of bed on time Um, it it could be to do a certain good corporal work of mercy through Lent Um, but it would be good to do without something in order that we gain mastery over our flesh, over our bodies. Hold on a moment, please. And this Sunday, then, today is Friday, and Sunday is Quinquagesima Sunday. We began two weeks ago with Septuagesima, seven weeks before Easter, and then Sexagesima, which is this week, Six weeks before. Sneezes come in twos. They usually come in twos. I don't know why. And then starting this Sunday will be Quinquagesima, the fifth week before Easter. But it's not a full week because Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent. Um, And uh, that's a day of fast. Uh, It's not a holy day of obligation that we must go to church. It is not. But it is a day of fast um, where we eat only one meal a day and maybe two snacks not equal to a meal, which is really hardly a fast. But but it it is. It gives us that opportunity to to love God. And um, Wednesday is the day when Judas betrayed our Lord to the, um, the Pharisees and scribes. And so uh, it was the day our Lord was betrayed. And typically Wednesday and Friday um, uh, and Saturday have been fast days. We fast those three days throughout the year. Um, 
Wednesday, the day our Lord was betrayed, um, Friday, the day he was nailed to the cross and died, and Saturday when he was in the tomb. So maybe, um, hold on just a moment. to get into that pattern and if you fast certainly uh, we abstain also from meat on Wednesday and Friday and Saturday um, um, again in honor of our Lord so when you do that you you help your children and yourself really live the year and it's Friday today and sometimes I say it's a fast day but it is and it gives me the opportunity to um, accompany our Lord, to love him, uh, to console his heart by joining in his sufferings in the tiniest little way, missing a couple of meals, that's not, or missing even one meal, that's really not suffering, but a little bit to acknowledge him. And you know the church has never given that up. The church has never given up no meat on Fridays, never. And what the church has allowed us to do on Friday is to choose our own sacrifice because, again, and that was a good thing that happened in Vatican II, that we grow up as children of God. And to simply be told to abstain from meat, uh, I I worked as a restaurant, a waitress, uh, church, and Catholic families would come in and they abstain from meat and they would have lobster feasts. It's not the idea. It's not the idea. Um, it's good to have mastery over our flesh. And again, um, if you were vegetarian, you didn't eat meat anyway. So no sacrifice there. So the church instead has kept uh, abstinence from meat on Friday, but has given us the option to sacrifice something else, abstain from something else. And unfortunately, many people thought that meant the Friday um, Uh, abstaining from meat was abrogated and it was never. We are required to abstain from meat on Friday or choose another sacrifice. And the bishops of the United States have asked us to keep the um, uh, fast with meat, abstain from meat um, uh, to end abortion. Um, So, this is Friday and we are... um, one, two, three, four, four days away from Lent, away from Ash Wednesday. So prepare your bodies, beloved. Prepare your family. Um, uh, set up a prayer table. Decide to pray together as a family during Lent. Parents, bless your children before they go to sleep, before they leave the house in the morning, if they're off to school, um, or even to work if they're still living at home. And um, uh, teach them study the faith together. (coughs) Maybe one thing you can do over Lent as a family (coughs) is read through the catechism. Papa, it's your job to be the shepherd of your family and to read through the catechism. It's not mom's job to gather the family together to do that, Papa. It's your job. God gave you vocation as priest of the family, and that is for you to do. I mentioned in the past 
that we have a wonderful um, uh, book that on on Catholic tales. They're actually for girls and boys, but uh, we have read them here, and they're just so beautiful. Uh, these stories are hardly for boys and girls. They're for they are, but they're for adults too. Uh, I think they're just beautiful. I'm going to read one. I'm going to try to read one every Friday. And I mentioned it before, we, we haven't gotten into that, but I'll start today with a story called The Embroidered Coat. And let me know, call in um, during the breaks or whenever it is. Uh, you can call in throughout the hour now. Um, and the toll-free number is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three, or email, and you can text at the phone number or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. It could be about the story or anything on your heart. Let me read this, but let me have your feedback. If you don't want this time taken up with reading these stories, which are really beautiful, I think, um, let me know that, and we won't do it. We'll continue with This is the Faith or whatever other subject of doctrine we're on. The story reads, Long ago, some Japanese nuns took in washing and orphans, the washing to get money to feed and clothe the orphans when they were tiny. The orphans slept in round baskets filled with cushions. When they grew, hold on a moment. When they grew older, they learned to pray, to sew, to play on little reed pipes, and to enjoy being alive. One of these orphans, named Mimosa Mary, thought that never was anyone on earth happier than she was. Everything reminded her of the child Jesus. When the nuns made the white soap flakes foam up in the washing tubs, she thought of the lambs, whiter than snow, that he loves. When the new orphans were brought in and put into baskets, she thought of the newborn God in his crib. Opposite the convent was a place behind high walls. From the convent garden, you can see only the golden dome. The garden behind the high walls was a paradise. It was full of delicate bridges, arched over shining streams. So exquisite were the flowers that each was like a carved jewel. And the birds singing in the trees sang with voices like starlight. Inside the palace, it was as lovely as outside. And here, bowed to all day long by many servants, lived a princess. She also was an orphan. She was just the same age as Mimosa. Her name was Lotus Flower. When Lotus Flower got up in the morning, a line of 20 servants stood by her bed, and her garments were passed from hand to hand until finally the chief lady-in-waiting put them on her. After this wearisome event, Lotus Flower went to her lessons. All the tutors bowed to the earth before asking her questions, but all the same, they scolded her severely if she did not know the answers. After lessons came lunch, which again was handed to her, dish after silver dish through 20 pairs of hands. Can you imagine that? Oh my goodness. There's the music for our first break, beloved. Again, feel free to call in with anything on your heart. Toll free 1-877-511-5283. 
Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam. How would you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests? You can tune in to Sermons for Everyday Living every day at 6 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. You can listen on thestationofthecross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. God bless you. Hi, this is Joe McLean, host of the Catholic Drive Time Morning Show. Weekday morning, 7 a.m. on the Station of the Cross. We'll keep you informed and inspired with insightful guests and breaking news stories of the day. That's the Catholic Drive Time. Weekday morning, 7 a.m. on the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio app. We look forward to joining you on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network each weekday morning at 7 a.m. Praise be to Jesus. May God love you. Being tempted isn't a sin. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says that Christ was tempted in all ways that we are yet without sin. So if I'm being tempted, and then in a certain sense, I'm in good company. I'm in the company of our Lord, in the company of Jesus. But what he wants me to do is actually resist. Resist those temptations as he did during his life. That's Sermons for Everyday Living weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. What you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the Station on the Cross. I listen to the radio station daily, and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that, and through your programs, I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the Station of the Cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved family. We are at the beginning, really, of a wonderful story called The Embroidered Coat, and uh, it's about an orphanage with a a bunch of children in in Japan, and uh, one little girl named Mimosa Mary, who loved the Lord Jesus Christ, and everything in creation reminded her of him. And next to the orphanage was a castle uh, with a wonderful princess, um, who was waited on hand and foot uh, to dress, to have lessons, to eat, all of that by 20 servants. And I'll continue now. <clears throat> and so the day went on until night came, and the princess lay in her high bed, her dark slanting eyes fixed on the big golden star that looked in the window and said, Good night. <laughs> Good night, said the golden star, Poor little princess, good night. There is no one to love you. Good night. But to Mimosa, in her narrow white bed in the dormitory, the star said, good night, Mimosa. God loves you. Good night. In Japan, people wear embroidered coats, and very often the embroidery tells a story in pictures. Lovers have such coats made for their dear ones and mothers for their children. But for lotus flower, 
there was no one. That's the name of the princess. But for Lotus Flower, there was no one to think of a message to embroider. She was magnificent, but alone. Nevertheless, since she had to have richer and more splendid coats than anyone else, her ministers sought for people to embroider them. They asked for no picture, however, only for flowers and birds. But they said that the workmanship must be very good. As the nuns were so nearby and were known to be good at sewing, it was only natural that one day the servants of the princess sent across a little coat to be embroidered by them. (coughs) Mimosa was in the room painting a picture on rice paper with a brush made from a duck's feather. When the royal servant arrived, he was shy because he was not a Christian and he knew no nuns. He explained why he had come and showed a beautiful shining coat of dusk blue silk. What design, said Sister Spirit of Light, what design would you like? What message or poem to be told for the princess? Oh, none, the servant said and smiled sadly. You know there is no one to think of designs of that sort. Put some flowers and birds on it. When he had bowed himself out, Mosa came and stood by Sister Spirit of Light. She put her small golden hand on the nun's knee and looked into her face. Does that mean, she said, that no one loves the princess? Poor little girl, said the nun. She's an orphan. She is very grand and has no one to play with. But we are orphans, and we have people to play with. Could she not play with us? Ah, Mimosa, you are not really orphans, for our Lord and his mother have adopted you. But you are not grand enough to play with Princess Lotus Flower. No one in the land is grand enough. Mimosa frowned a little, thinking her oval face, palely gold and clear, looked like a flower going to sleep. May I embroider the coat, she said. You? But first of all, you do not like to sit still sewing for a long uh, for long at a time. And second, I'm afraid you are not very good at it. Sister, I will be very patient. I will try very hard. The sister looked well at her. Then she said, very well, you may try. The threads that were brought, scarlet and green and white and gold and many other colors, and Mimosa set to work. Every time before she began, she washed her hands very clean and said a prayer. Then she sat under the flowering trees and began to embroider the story she wanted to tell the princess. Over the place where the princess's heart would be, Mosa did the infant Jesus in his round cradle basket, and she sewed his heart in threads of gold. Above at the neck, she made a star, our star, she called it, but it was meant also for the star of Bethlehem. The hands of our Lord were held out, and Our Lady, who sat by him, was beckoning. She beckoned toward a tiny picture of the castle wall, with the trees just showing over the top, and all around the hem, beckoning too, the orphans danced. Well, it's a little clumsy, said Sister Spirit of Light, and the picture is unusual, 
that hem part might even be thought a little imprudent if its message is really understood. But people hardly ever look carefully enough at pictures, on coats at least, to understand. And I know, Mimosa, that every stitch was a prayer. When Mimosa said goodnight to the star that night, Oh, let her understand, she whispered. And Lotus Flower did understand. The very next day she was outside the convent gates, peering in, and it was Mimosa herself who drew back the lock. When the princess was found to be missing, a hue and cry arose. Not only did the grand vizier himself set out to look for her, but all the warriors too, armed and on horseback. They wore silver armor with blue and red tassels, and their horses were like white Shetland ponies with trappings of scarlet and silver horns fastened between their eyes. And while these warriors waited in the courtyard for the word of command, a beggar who had just come from the convent where he had had a meal told the captain that he was certain the princess was in there among the orphans. This news made the captain and the grand vizier furious. What? they cried. With those children who have not one drop of royal blue blood in their veins? If it is so, we will certainly have all their heads cut off. And they added as as an afterthought, and all the nuns' heads too. And over they went with a great blowing of trumpets and clattering of hoofs to the convent gates. The orphans were very excited to see this army of warriors at their gates and ran to stare. And there, sure enough, in their midst, her hair untidy, her eyes shining, her face flushed, wearing her new dress, was the princess. The captain's face blazed bright red. He was about to seize his royal mistress and to begin cutting off heads when someone who had been hidden among the other children, separated himself from them and came to meet him. It was a boy, capital B, it was a boy, whom all could see was a king. He wore a robe on which the sun and the moon were embroidered, and on his head a crown. The captain sprang from his horse and fell on one knee, and all the others bowed low. I did not know, said the captain, that there was a great king. That is how it happened, that the princess went every day to play with the orphans, and she and all her court learned to pay homage to the king of kings. The end. (laughs) Aren't these stories beautiful? I just love them. Our Lord Jesus, in many of the stories, appears as a little boy. I absolutely love this book. I love these stories. Catholic tales for boys and girls, but I tell you, they're for me. They're absolutely for me, and I love them. Let me mention again, dearest, that you're welcome to call in with anything at all on your heart at any time, and the toll-free number um, is 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross. Dot com. Um, we have an email from Amy. Mm-hmm. 
Amy says, hi, Mother. I was just catching up on your podcast and heard about possibly a chance to move to Beloit. That's Beloit, Kansas, the city we're in now. I am in a dire situation and have been praying about a place for me to go. If you can accommodate me, I will gather up what little I have and pray with everyone there until the end of earthly life. My goodness. Thank you. Please let me know if this is even a possibility. God bless you, Mother. Blessings, Amy. Amy, I don't know um, anything about you uh, in this in this email, but if you are considering maybe being with our community, um, just go to our website, motherofisraelshope.org, and um, uh, under our charism, you can um, find our uh, our charism, the, our, our uh, introduction to our charism, and you can read that. And you can go to contact and use our email, vocation inquiry at motherofisraelshope.org. Send me an email, and I will send you a little um, vocation packet and questionnaire that you can return to us. If it's a fit for you to join us, absolutely, Amy, I would love it. Okay, God bless you. Um, We have a text from somebody who writes it anonymously and says, "Watching why the Catholic, watching why the Catholic Bible has more books than Protestant." Mother said the Catholic version has seventy-three books. That's correct. Forty-six in the Old Testament and twenty-six in the New. No, twenty-seven in the New um, Testament. And <clears throat> she says, "Either I'm confused, or he, she, or he, hard of hearing, or." at math. Please explain the discrepancy. It's 27 books in the Old Testament. I could have misspoken. I, I don't know. But yes, 46 in the Old, 27 in the New, which comes to a total of 73 books in the Catholic Bible, which is the Bible our Lord gave us. Um, let me see now. We have an email from Jack who says, Hi, Mother. The new pastor at my parish frequently uses his iPad on the altar for reading instead of a physical book. Although I don't know for sure that this is not permitted, something about it just feels wrong. Can you please speak of this? On this, perhaps my concerns are unwarranted in Christ, Jack. Jack, um, I don't know if there's anything in canon law to not have um, an iPad on the altar, but I do not think it's right. Um, uh, I don't think we should function from our iPads on the on the altar where we're consecrating our Lord. Um, I couldn't tell you that authoritatively. I'd have to look that up. But um, I don't think your pastor should be reading um, on the altar from his iPad. Uh, there are books, the missiles, that are given to pastors to read from. And that's what he should be reading from. So it's very, very awkward. Um, and I, I can't say it's absolutely wrong. Uh, I wouldn't favor it what, at all. I think he needs to read the church's books um, and put them on the altar. Um, there's the music for our break, beloved. We still have a whole half hour ahead, and you're welcome to call in with anything at all on your heart. Toll free one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
This is Jesuit Father Robert McTagg, host of The Catholic Current, heard weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio app. The season of Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, March 2nd. You can enrich your 40-day Lenten journey this year by signing up to receive my daily Lenten audio reflections in your email each morning. We're offering daily spiritual nourishment ready to go whenever you are ready to use it. Sign up for these daily reflections at thestationofthecross.com or on your iCatholic Radio app. That's thestationofthecross.com or the iCatholic Radio app. Throughout the holy season of Lent, let's support each other in prayer. God bless you. This is Jesse Romero, host of Jesus 911, heard weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern. I'm joined each day by a variety of co-hosts like Ruben Nava, Paul Clay, Dan Schneider, and my amazing wife, Anita Romero. We tackle Catholic devotions, spiritual warfare, family life, saving America, and everything in between. Join us each weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Pacific for Jesus 911. You can also catch a bonus encore Saturdays at noon Eastern. God bless you. Keep the faith. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent from your diocese, our apostolate is listener-supported. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel message and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. The Station of the Cross thanks our supporters who have enabled us to broadcast Catholic programs for more than 20 years. Thank you for your continued support, and may God bless you and your family. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved family, to Mother Miriam Live. I am she and live and very happy to be with you. Um, and again, uh, our lines are wide open. Uh, the entire hour now, you're welcome to call in with anything on your mind, on your heart, toll free at one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three. We have an email from Sue. Um, who writes, Good morning, Mother Miriam. I'm writing to you with hope that you may be able to offer some insight into something that has been troubling me for some time now. As an extraordinary minister of Holy Communion, I was called a few months back to the home of a man who had a brain tumor. I was told that he would likely die soon. When I arrived, the man was unconscious and was not being given any food or fluids. His wife informed me that he had been in this state for days. I am wrong, am I wrong, for feeling that the man was essentially being starved and assisted in death? I cannot help but feel that there was something I could have said or something that I could, should have done. What would you have done if you were in my situation, Mother? I'm struggling with the guilt of feeling that I turned a blind eye on this man whose death was seemingly being encouraged by his caretakers. Um, Sue, I would be, I would feel and think as you did in the same situation. 
Um, I don't know what I, I can tell you in hindsight now, uh, removed from the situation, what I would have done when we're removed from the situation and looking back in on it, we can be more sane in our thinking, more in judgment, um, and judge more appropriately. We, we're more objective. So I can tell you what I hope I would have done in that situation, but it's very difficult when you're shocked and you're faced with something like that. Um, hopefully I would have told them that they are killing their um, their refuge, their uh, relative, um, uh, killing that man, um, and that they have an obligation uh, from the church and before God to never starve anybody. They must give food and water. They must, must, must. And in his condition... Uh, if he's unconscious, you couldn't have given him anything, but he needed to have an in-house nurse, intravenous, something like that, and I would have then called the pastor to give him last rites. I don't know, um, I guess, if he, if you were called to give him communion, I'm guessing that he's Catholic, and I don't know if he had last rites. That would have been extremely important. So um, I hope I would have done that, Sue. Um, and I hope I would have been courageous enough to say to the family, you are starving him to death. Um, he, he may die anyway, but but we have an obligation to not starve people to death, uh, to feed them and let them de- die as God would have them in his time. So I would have told them that, Sue. I don't know who this family is. Um, I don't know how well, if you know them or they're just uh, parishioners that you really don't know. Um, and I'm, you say it's some time ago, so he might be deceased by now. And if that's the case, I would just let it go. I would personally mention it in confession that you feel you failed in your obligation, um, uh, especially as some form of minister from the church, to have not um, told this family that they must keep him on food and water into Venus. They must not withdraw food and water from him. Um, so I, w- I don't know the degree of sin in there, um, but silence, can we, we are accountable uh, for our silence in many situations. Let God judge this one. I would take it to confession because it's bothering you because you have a good conscience. I would take it to confession and tell God, that you're sorry for this, for either being, uh, I don't know, if you were cowardly, if you were afraid of their coming against you, if you were afraid of upsetting them even more than they already were with their dying um, relative. Um, But in any case, um, you withheld what was important, and I would bring that to confession. It's not mortal sin, but I would bring it to confession, Sue. Um... Your, your guilty heart is good. Um, our, our souls, when we sense something's wrong, um, is like, a, you know, if a child puts their finger on a hot stove, uh, they get, if they leave it on there, it gets burnt. If they put it on for the first time, it's going to take time for the heat to travel through the nerves of the body to the brain to tell the body that it's burning. Um, the second time, it's already traveled that path, so the second time the baby touches the stove, they're going to go like that because it's, it's going to be automatic. Um, um, and the, the conscience is like that for the soul, that if we feel guilty, 
um, we need to pay attention to that. We could be scrupulous. This doesn't sound like an account of scrupulosity, but I would take it to to uh, confession. <clears throat> and don't feel worse about it now. Feel thank God that you that you've come to feel bad about it. That you do have a good conscience, and that the Holy Spirit is truly alive with you. Um, we have an email from someone who writes in anonymously and um, says there seem to be so many pro- prominent self-proclaimed Catholics who utilize their platform or platforms to directly contradict the faith they claim to be living. For example, Joe Biden receiving communion after publicly supporting abortion or various church leaders and their public support of the LGBTQ community and their involvement in the church. What goes into the process of excommunication, as in, what are the steps? What exactly are the grounds for excommunication? Why is excommunication not more common during such a time as this? Well, um, I'd have to look up all the issues uh, and circumstances for excommunication, but my understanding is that they are excommunicated. They are in mortal sin. If they're claiming to be Catholic and they're supporting abortion and the sin of homosexuality and other things, um, they are supporting mortal sin, which puts them... They're not just supporting it, they're making laws for it to enable it. That puts them in a condition of mortal sin, which means they have excommunicated themselves. They are excommunicated. It doesn't take a formal process. If I murder someone, if I have an abortion, until I go and make that right through confession, if I'm absolved, I may not be, but if I am, then I'm back in relationship with God. But if I commit one of those crimes, uh, President Biden living as he is, um, uh, he is in a state of excommunication from the church. He has excommunicated himself. A woman who has an abortion has excommunicated herself. Is there no hope for such people? There's always hope but they need to go to a priest. They can't just tell God they're sorry. They need to go to a priest. They need to have true godly sorrow and then let God forgive them, absolve them through that priest. So they are. The Pelosi, everyone, everyone who claims himself to be a Catholic is more um, uh, responsible than those who don't claim to be Catholics who do the same thing. To whom much is given, much is expected. So for a self-proclaimed Catholic who um, uh, advocates what is mortal sin, uh, they themselves have excommunicated themselves from the church, and by taking communion, um, they are uh, committing mortal sin upon mortal sin. Um, I'm just going to say shame on the USCCB, shame on our bishops who said they would not withhold communion from such people. Shame on them, because they're going to be accountable. And if don't believe them, because it is a mortal sin, we must not. The sacrament is more important than the individual. The sacrament is God, and he must be honored and respected. <clears throat> We 
We have an email from Anne. And again, let me remind you, dear ones, our lines are wide open and you're welcome to call in at any time with anything on your heart. And the number is one eight seven seven five one one five four eight three or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. Um, and you can text at the toll free number as well. Anne uh, writes, Dear Mother, I've always been a pro-life Catholic, yet I gave into public pressure and got the jab three times. After watching one of your episodes on Mother Miriam Live, I realized that this is a grave matter. All my friends and family have also been vaccinated, with the exception of my little seven-year-old niece, thank goodness. I pray that if the vaccine chip comes along i won't receive that as i believe it could be the mark of the beast well um and it's not gonna you're not gonna refuse the vaccine by praying about it you need to be firm in your faith and firm in your resolutions and says other than going to confession i don't know what i can do what would you do in this situation Please pray for me and all those I know who are vaccinated. God bless Anne. Um, Anne, what you do is simply never take another vaccine. I'm not telling you you're in sin by taking it. Um, If it is made or tested, made by or tested by um, aborted fetal cells, uh, we are committing uh, sin because we have a moral obligation to not participate in such sins as abortion and if we take the products made from abortion um, we are we are uh, um, we're okaying it uh, we cannot do that we we don't do evil that good may come so um, if you believe that then um, you can go to confession to say that you you took the vaccine under pressure but again the public pressure will not excuse you it's your own decision 100 percent, and you need to be strong enough to live before to live your beliefs before god and so if a fourth um, vaccine excuse me booster is required you just say no you just say no uh aside from the moral uh atrocity um If you take the vaccine, you are destroying your body. It is not a vaccine. It is a pathogen uh, that goes through your body and destroys your organs and destroys eventually your brain. It is very, very dangerous. It's awful. You're putting something living in your body that's going through and will destroy it. So just for self-preservation physically, don't take. COVID is much better than getting that vaccine. Um, we uh, have an email from Tony. Tony writes, good morning, Mother. My question is about displaying pictures of beautiful child angels in my home. Is this appropriate? Yes, of course, Tony. Um, He writes, I have just recently been studying more about angels, and the angels all seem to be adults. I know angels don't have bodies. These are mostly above the waist, to show their wings. I love them, but if they are not appropriate, I want to take them down. Thank you, Mother, for your love and charity. I pray for you often, Tony. Tony, thanks for your prayer. There's nothing wrong. 
absolutely nothing wrong with it. Cherubs all over the place. There's nothing wrong with it. Our Lady is pictured with with um, many, many cherubs, small baby angels. I, I don't know a thing wrong with that whatsoever. You keep those pictures up. If anyone knows differently, please let me know. Um, Okay, we have a call from Mary Ann. Mary Ann, hold on till after the break if you can. And um, anyone else, feel free to call in. We're coming up against our final segment. And the toll free number is 1 877 511 5483. And email at mother at the station of the cross.com. We'll be right back. Gospels record many instances of our Lord going off to a secluded place to pray, so we can be sure that finding a quiet place for prayer is vital for us as well. Located in the serene setting of Cranberry, Pennsylvania, the St. Thomas More House of Prayer is the perfect place to deepen your prayer life or to hold a group retreat. The St. Thomas More House of Prayer is a Catholic retreat center whose mission is to pray the Liturgy of the Hours and spread this beautiful prayer of the Church. Book a visit or learn more by going to liturgyofthehours.org or call us at 814-676-1910. That's 814-676-1910. The Station of the Cross appreciates the generosity of our supporters. We are committed to keeping our donors' accounts up to date. If there have been changes made to your payment information, please call us so that we can update your account. 1-877-888-6279, extension 104. Or update your information online at thestationofthecross.com. Thank you for your generous support of Catholic Radio. Keep up to date with the shows we bring you each day on the Station of the Cross by viewing our programming grid on our website, thestationofthecross.com, and on our iCatholic Radio app. Just click the menu icon in the top left portion of our app and select the link to our programming grid. That's at thestationofthecross.com and on our free iCatholic Radio app for Android and Apple mobile devices. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live, and this is our last segment, and our lines are still open. If you wish to call in with anything on your heart, toll-free 1-877-511-5483, or email, and you can text at that toll-free number, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Mary Ann from Syracuse, are you on the line? Yes, I am. Hi, Mary Ann. Good morning. Good morning. I just morning. had an in addition to make to your comment to sue the email um, from the extraordinary minister. Who 
who and, and who went to the home of a man that was unconscious and had a brain tumor? Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, I just thought, like an extraordinary minister, their job is to bring communion to the homebound. So if she walks into a situation where she thinks that someone is near death, as this man should be, like her first concern should be for his spiritual well-being, and immediately... I think her response should be to call a priest so this man can get last rites because she can't provide for that that for him. Well, assuming and, that they haven't done that, right. Assuming, yes. But I think if she's going in there, she should that that would be something that she would, she would at least ask, have a responsibility right. to make sure that she asked has he received last rites. Okay, of course. Because he can't receive communion from her anyway. And when you walk into a situation like that... Um, I know I have a daughter that had been in hospice care. Um, she graduated by healing. <laughs> she didn't go. There, there's two ways to graduate from hospice care. Wow. But I know that there are situations where um, not necessarily fluids, but feeding someone could actually be dangerous and mm-hmm. um, cause more pain and suffering. So that her job would not be to make like medical decisions. She could probably ask a question or two, but that would not be her position. Her position should be like his spiritual welfare, has he had last rites? Because she cannot give him communion if he is unconscious. That's right. Marianne, um, I'd go a little further on that. Um, Yes, to ask if he's had, assuming she's bringing him communion, he's Catholic, of course. Um, And yes, right away, to ask if he's had last rites, because nothing would be more important than calling a priest, for sure. Um... You're right, not everybody can receive the food, and it might do more harm than good. Um, again, I'm talking about intravenous care, you know, nursing care, not not through the mouth or anything else. Um, I think the questions need to be asked. What state is he in? Is there a reason why he's not on a feeding tube or receiving water? I would ask those questions, see. Um, uh, as Catholics, even if we're not so-called uh, ministers of the Eucharist, um, when as Catholics we need uh, what we need to be responsible for what we've been given and what we know. So, I agree with you fully. First, has he had last rites, and if not, uh, to, to ask permission to call a priest. And secondly, I would I would ask about his condition and how is it that he doesn't have a feeding tube or that he's not given water. And if they said, well, we just, he's suffering so much, we just want to let him die, then we have a responsibility to say that we don't have that right. We don't have a right to simply let him die. You know, if they say, well, the medical people have been here and they say if we give him anything, it'll mean his death. There's different situations, but we are responsible. We're our brother's keeper. Um, Any Catholic would be responsible for that. Yes. Does that sound okay for you? Yes. It's, I'm, and again, like as long as it's not something, because I know people that have gone through pancreatic cancer where even a sip of water would be a very painful thing for them, or mm-hmm. like eating would be, um, and I know that there are ways to give infusion and there, there are ways to give hydration. Um, That's all I'm speaking of. Right. That's okay. that's pretty much what I'm speaking of, right? Because at that stage, he a, a person couldn't receive anything other than through hydration through a tube, right? 
So I'm, I'm with you on that, Mary. And Well, blessed be God that your daughter was healed. That's incredible. Well, she, she, she got out of hospice um, just by surviving. She, she was given a couple hours to live, and she's going to be 22 in May. So we're, we're grateful to God because he's good, oh. and he's taking really good care of her. Oh, my goodness, Mary Ann. God bless you. How long ago was she in hospice? Um, when, as a newborn, as a newborn, so she, oh my, mm-hmm. um, cause she, she has a genetic disorder, but, um, uh-huh. but you know what, she's, everything that she's gone through, um, she's been a sign of God's hand and care for her and our family, mm-hmm. um, See. throughout her entire life. So it's, it's been a blessing, not easy. I won't say it's been easy. <laughs> I, I can, I can imagine. I can imagine, but, honey. Mm-hmm. But she's taught us a lot. Mm-hmm. Blessed be God forever, and and for your own faith and your heart and your sacrifices. Um, thanks be to God, Mary Ann. God bless you, and thanks for calling in. Thank you. <clears throat> we have an email from someone who writes in anonymously and says, Good morning, and thank you, Mother, for all you do. Thank you. I have a 24-year-old daughter who lives away from home. She makes lots of money in her finance job in New York City. I gently remind her to go to Mass on Sunday as God is so good to her and our family. She called home the other day and said, Have you been making it to Mass? Oh, sorry. She called home the other day and I said, Have you been making it to Mass? She said, Yes, I went to the 5 o'clock Mass. I know that was a bold-faced lie, so I just let it go and keep her in my prayers. I don't know why you knew it was a bold-faced lie. I don't know. But um, she says her work is so busy and sometimes out of control, she needs to see a therapist. I said, start with God and get to Mass on Sundays. You would be surprised how great God's therapy is. I also threw in a question, quote, how is it that you would have time for a therapist with your busy life, but you cannot even go to Mass for 50 minutes on Sunday. Any advice? Thank you. Well, um, I would, I would, um, you're, you're really treating her like a child. Um, and I wouldn't do that. I'd treat her as an adult. And I would talk to her um, about her soul. And I'd say, you can make a salary of a million dollars a year and spend eternity in hell. If you are Catholic, you are obligated to go to Mass every Sunday. And if you miss Mass, you must go to confession because missing Mass for no dire reason, and work is not a dire reason, um, is a mortal sin. And you cannot receive communion until you have confessed that sin. Um, And being a Catholic is not simply about going to Mass on Sunday. That's, That's a given. But um, it seems like you're Catholic in name, and you're not living your faith, and you're destroying your life uh, and putting God on the side. And I would talk to her about the seriousness of that and the consequences of that. Um, don't, as a, as a, as a mother, uh, as you would tell a, a te- 12-year-old teenager in your home with 13-year-old teenagers to go to Mass, no. Um, you're not her monitor. You need to start talking to her about the condition she's putting her soul in, that she's away from God. 
um, and that work and money have become her god. And uh, she could die any moment. Any of us can. We don't know we have tomorrow. And if she does, she will not be in heaven. She has no confidence whatsoever that she'll be in her heaven. Her baptism won't help her if she's turned from God. Um, and she's, well, I haven't turned from God. I'm just busy. Well, then you've turned from God, and your work has become your idol. Um, first is God. Second is your job and everything else in life. Um, so I, I would talk to her seriously. Um, and if you think she's lying to you because she's away in New York, that's going to help her because now there's a lie on top of everything else. Uh, I would talk seriously to her about her soul. Beloved, have a wonderful weekend, I pray. Pray for the Ukraine. Pray for the good people there. Um, and uh, hold your family close. God bless you. <laughs>